Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. Well, what a morning it has been. Usually I record my podcasts on Sunday morning, but today I was going to have special guests. I had Emil Weber and Aaron Cashel from the Tarantula Sustainment Project, who are going to come on and talk a bit about the project. I think it's they've got some amazing ideas, and I wanted to kind of break it down. Unfortunately, everything that could have gone wrong during the course of the interview did. The software was glitching out. We tried to, we had, the good thing was we had a wonderful conversation before, and I got to meet him. I, Aaron, if anybody remembers, sent me some Phoebopus species a while back, or not that long ago, and We've maintained contact. Emil and I have gone back and forth before, and I just couldn't wait to have him on. So we had a wonderful discussion. So it was nice. If you guys are listening, fantastic meeting. You're glad we could chat a little bit. But what we're going to do is try again next week. It was like one thing after another. The program was glitching. My internet started cutting out, and my Wi-Fi started cutting out. It was just a train wreck. So here we are with plan B, which is okay. I'm really excited about this one though. And I think people will enjoy hearing from them and some of their ideas. And hopefully we can make this tarantula sustainment project a reality. So to start it off, we're going to go back to last week where we talked about the Overcaring for tarantulas, which I think is a pretty big issue in the hobby where folks, and we've all done it. I think that needs to be put out there. We've all done it, myself included, where you get a spider, you're watching it, you think something's wrong, so you start doing things, making care decisions that actually compromise the health of the spider more. So, for example, your spider starts wandering around, you go, "Uh uh-oh, maybe it's not moist enough. You pour more moisture in, you turn it into a swamp or situations where you think the enclosure isn't set up correctly. So instead of tweaking the enclosure, you rehouse the spider, things of that nature. And it was neat hearing from people because a lot of folks chimed in with their experiences with over caring for the spiders. I do think it's something that we eventually grow out of, but we've all had those moments. I still have moments where I will observe something, I'm worried for the spider, and rather than just let it go, I react, and sometimes the reaction is not necessarily the correct one. So I wanted to go through a couple of the responses, the comments we got, and again, I apologize. The comments have all been approved, but I haven't responded to them all yet, so I will respond to them them all. So the first one comes from Eric Topping. And Eric said, I think that people who come from the reptile hobby tend to overcare for their first tarantulas. I think it's hard for them to come to grips with the fact that there isn't that much to do for these animals. On the other hand, I've been spoiled by the ease of tarantula care and do not want to get any more reptiles because it seems like a lot of work. Amen. All 20 of my tarantulas take up the same amount of weekly care time as our bearded dragon alone. Makes me glad I found tarantulas before getting into reptiles. Eric, I agree with you. I came from the snake hobby back in the day, had uh, upwards of 40 snakes, and they are so less time intensive. It's not to say I'm a lazy keeper. I don't want that to be the message in this one, but having kept snakes for years, it's definitely much less labor intensive. They need a lot, they need fewer care requirements. And I remember getting into tarantulas and starting to break out the bins of heat lamps and heat rocks and thinking, oh, these might come in handy, the heat mats. No, they didn't come in handy. I didn't need any of them. They weren't appropriate. I remember even breaking out old snake cages going, hey, can I put spiders in these? No, they were not appropriate. I do think when you have to worry more about humidity and temperature, because it's more important with snakes and reptiles, that it does that. It's tough to shake that when you're keeping a tarantula that you don't have to do much to it. So that is, I think, one of the big perks of keeping them is they are so easy to keep. Although there are folks out there that try to make it more difficult. I've heard some stuff mentioned lately about them needing temperature gradients and things of that nature. 
nature. And I will eventually cover that in a podcast. We're not going to do it today. But that one scares me because that's not what they need. But they are very, very simple to keep. And I think that's both a blessing, but when we first start off, a curse because we want to overdo it. We want to care. We need to care for these animals. And caring for animals usually involves more than dropping a cricket in once a week or even once a month filling a water dish and just staring at a tank. So Eric, I agree completely with you on that one. That is, I think, one of the main issues with folks that come from those other hobbies, especially reptiles, is the fact they are inherently hardwired to overcare for what is a very, very easy animal to keep. I also received a comment from Gina. I know you've told the story of digging up your LP before, but I hope you keep telling it because when I got a little nervous about my itty-bitty sling, it was your voice that came to me Obi-Wan style and said, don't dig up your LP. I love the Obi-Wan reference, one of my favorite Star Wars characters. So I put down the enclosure and left her alone. After what felt like forever, she tossed out a tiny mole. One thing that has been helpful for me if there's a spider I'm concerned about is to use a small motion-activated night vision camera that alerts me if there's a movement and records small clips. This helps me keep tabs on things if one is nearing a molt or if I'm not sure if one is coming up to feed or to get water. I just have to be careful with the placement because a small amount of heat from infrared is very attractive to my tarantulas. So many of the clips I'm recording are basically extreme close-ups of spiders spread eagle against the side of the enclosure where it senses warmth. That's interesting. I have not heard of using the infrared. I did set up a camera before in my room to catch the M. Balfouri out and about at night, but I place it kind of far away from it. That's a really neat idea to kind of check on to see if they're out and about. I think a lot of us start figuring out little tricks to recognize. I think actually what happens with a lot of us is we start getting more and more spiders and we don't have the time to obsess on them. I know with as many as I've got, I do spend time with each and every one, but it's hard to obsess on one when you've got things that, you know, cage across the way, something else is going on. Somebody just molted. Somebody just needs a feeding. There's always something to kind of keep your attention. I do think that's one of the reasons why so many of us end up with so many tarantulas. So great comment, Gina. So it was good to hear from folks on this one that it's not just me. And I think for other folks to hear that it's other people that have made some of the same mistakes. And again, it's, it's all part of learning the hobby. I think a lot of us come in, whether it be from the reptile hobby, whether it be from just keeping cuddly, furry animals, it's just so difficult to wrap our minds around just how easy these guys are to care for. So I think a lot of us come into the hobby with, you know, keeping furry animals, reptiles, whatever it may be, it, we have to unlearn that stuff and recognize that sometimes less is more. Sometimes dropping that cricket in, filling the water dish, and stepping away is all we need to do. So again, thanks to all that commented, all that have showed up to the website. It's been great. Being able to actually read your comments and interact with you is something that I've been kind of missing. We, we had it on Facebook. Don't get me wrong. That was great. But it's just nice to have a place devoted to that. Now, our second order of business this morning, a lot of times I keep an eye on the news. And I think I've told you guys how whatever algorithm Google uses to track my news interest, I get a lot of tarantula articles on my Google feed. Well, this one came over this morning. Apparently, it ran yesterday. The title is Hoping to Become the World's Tarantula Capital, La Junta Host's First Ever Festival dedicated to the tiny critters. This one made my day because you hear so much negative stuff out there about tarantulas and obviously the tarantula migration is going and that's starting to become a big thing and it sounds like some towns are actually using this as an opportunity to educate people about tarantulas which is fantastic. So the article goes respect the tarantula trek. That was the main message at La Junta's first tarantula festival this weekend. Festival goers got to watch a parade, take tarantula tours, buy tarantula-related goods, and learn about the arachnids from hands-on displays at La Junta's Senior Center. La Junta Mayor Joe Ayala said the festival is a chance to explain a tarantula's important place in the local ecosystem. 
I, I'm almost in tears here. This is amazing. It's about educating, Ayala said. It's about telling people it's awesome. Take a picture. Don't take a tarantula. Ayala said that La Junta tourism focused on conservation education as well as bringing tourism to local businesses when planning the family-friendly event. He said he wants La Junta to become known as the tarantula capital of the world. Instead of the home of where the buffalo roam, Ayala said, it's going to be give me a home where the tarantulas roam. That's going to be our slogan. At the center's education pavilion, Colorado Arachnid Club and other organizations taught attendees about the unique role tarantulas play in the local ecosystem. Club member Kelly Stevenson said arachnids help protect against disease by eating an estimated 56,000 bugs per day per square mile. She said she's seen people change their mind about tarantulas after learning more about them. Usually when people first come to the program or they come up and ask questions, they're unaware of how harmless they really are, Stevenson said. La Junta plans to host the Tarantula Festival annually. Rick Walner with the Canyons and Plains said they plan to expand the Tarantula Tours to let more people sign up. We're doing the Tarantula Tours using the city buses. We're taking people out to spot them, Walner said. We had 72 slots on those tours and they filled up like that. They filled up really quick. So we know there's some demand out there. Walner said the festival doesn't just advocate for the conservation of tarantulas, but highlights the many resources in southeastern Colorado. This one absolutely made my day. Normally when I get tarantula news, it's about smuggling, somebody getting caught smuggling them. It's I occasionally get ones that are articles that are written from pest control companies, which I don't know why they're targeting me on that. I don't want to know how to kill tarantulas. Occasionally, or lately, I've been getting a lot of the ones about the tarantula migration of the males going out and trying to find the ladies. But to read this, to read a town not preaching fear, not preaching disgust or telling people to be scared of them, but actually embracing this and turning it into a learning experience, turning it into a tourism experience. That's just amazing. So I read this one immediately had a smile on my face. I thought, I don't know where I thought it was going. I'm like, there's no way when I saw the title of the article that this is going to be anywhere near what I think it's going to be. Because sometimes you read them and you go, oh, this sounds good. And then you get into the article going, never mind. It was, it was better. The fact that they're doing, the fact that they've got arachnid groups coming in to help teach people about them because again I always feel like if people know more about these animals and how amazing they are and how helpful they are how a harmless I know we're all a lot of us are raised in in a way that we are almost born and bred to be arachnophobic we have parents relatives others that they, oh a spider kill it and we're just taught conditioned that they're bad so it takes some deep programming so Kelly Stevenson, my hat's off to you. Thank you so much for doing the the good work there and getting people into them. I mean, that would be something, I mean, Billy and I don't travel and I don't see us getting to Colorado anytime soon, but I did make a note that someday if we ever do hop into Winnebago and, and go across the country to be able to spot these, that might be the place I stop because that sounds like a very friendly place for a guy who runs Tom's Big Spiders, quite frankly. So awesome article. Colorado Arachnid Group, my hat's off to you as well. I mean, that's the type of stuff that I love to hear. I think I shared the story recently where I had a student who's, again, sounds like he was raised very much like me, kind of a farm kid. They do a lot of hunting. Their respect for animals is kind of a respect for animals as a commodity or food source. So when you bring up bugs, it's like, why would you want to save spiders? What good are they? And he came to me the other day and he's like, Miss Moran, I got to tell you, I was at my house and I saw a spider. And I was scared of it, but I looked at it. And I'm like, you know what? You're not going to hurt anybody. And he took the spider and put it outside. 
I can't get a better compliment than that because he and I used to get in little, not fights, but we'd kind of jokingly banter back and forth. I I see a spider, I'm going to light it on fire, that type of thing. And to hear him kind of turn around and publicly in front of all his friends say, no, I've changed my mind on it. That's the reason I do this kind of stuff. That's the reason why I'm into doing the podcast and the YouTube videos and all that stuff is to hopefully educate and have people see them and even just with half of the level of admiration that and respect that I see them with, uh, that would be amazing. So great way to start things off. It was nice, again, having a piece of of good tarantula news. A piece of any good any good news is welcome these days, considering what's currently floating around the news. So moving into our main topic today, we're going to talk a little bit about one of my favorite genera of tarantulas, Pisolotheria species. I just did a Pisolotheria review or blowout on YouTube. It was one that I had planned for years. I think I actually started two and a half, three years ago before we moved the other house and I was having the most difficult time getting good footage. I didn't want a video with a bunch of crummy footage. I want to get good shots because honestly, I think they're one of the most beautiful tarantulas out there. The, all of them, every single, I can't, I have the hardest time picking one as my favorite and I wanted to be able to show that off. But again, as I've tried to say over the years and I have some people that are starting to believe me, I have some that still don't, they are unfortunately or fortunately not the demons that a lot of people will make them out to be. Most of them, if you kept correctly, are very, very shy. So I've had the most difficult time getting footage. I did just the last two I needed to get some good footage of were of my Pisolotheria subfusca, my Highland and Lowland. I had some pictures of after we had rehoused, I think it was my Highland a couple years ago or a year ago. But I didn't have a lot of footage of it. And then my lowland, I had next to nothing of, some foggy ones through the sterilite. So I was really trying to get footage. So I rehoused them all recently, got pictures of the, some great images of them. Oddly, I had a bunch of old footage of Pisolotheria metallica, but I want some new footage. And they were being, they were always very shy and, and reclusive. So I was having a hard time getting some of them. But anyway, I finally got enough together to put a showcase together with nine of the species I have that I went for the adults. Unfortunately, I had a couple that had passed away. So my Ornata, I had two Ornata mature males. They had passed away, so I didn't have really any footage of them. And my adult female had died a couple years ago, so I didn't have any of her. My Hannibal Lisa Mika, I had a mature male that passed away. I had an adult female that unfortunately was one of the ones that was a victim of that bad bag of substrate I had. That one was heartbreaking when she passed away. It was the same thing as the other spiders. I rehoused her, put her, and the worst part was, speaking of overcaring for your spiders, I had housed her in an enclosure with, I believe I was using the cocoa fiber. This is right when I was kind of getting away from cocoa fiber. I was using a lot more topsoil and stuff. And I noticed she wasn't settling in real well. And so I decided to replace the cocoa fiber with a mixture of this substrate, this dirt I had that I was mixing up with some vermiculite. I put her in that several months down the road. She fattened up. She was becoming very sluggish. I thought that a molt was coming. Instead, she got more and more sluggish sat on the bottom of the substrate. She wasn't climbing much. She wasn't hiding behind it and then passed away. And then it was several months later that I realized the issue with the substrate. So that one still hurt. So I wasn't able to show those off. And I got some slings in, but I wasn't going to just show shots of the slings. I wanted to show them off in all of their glory. But while putting this video together, basically what I did is I went through the different species and talked about the general care and then talked about some notes I had on each one and then tried to get people interested in this genus. Because one thing I found through the years of talking to people and hobbyists across the world, folks overseas, Poland, Germany, UK, 
a lot more of them take chance on pokies than we do in the U.S. And obviously, we have some issues now with the Sri Lankan pokies. They're more difficult to come by, but even the ones, the Indian species, that are very easy to come by or at least more easily acquired, folks tend to keep a hands-off approach. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that will come on to a pokey video and go, I love watching your pokey videos. They are beautiful spiders. I do keep old worlds, but I never, I'll never keep pokies. There's just too, they scare me. They are too defensive. They are too aggressive. They are too much of a liability. Like all these terrible things about them. And why do they have this point of view? It's because we have done too good of a job, at least, you know, in the hobby over here in the United States, of warning people against them. I do believe that people need to be very well aware that a Apicelotheria is not a species to be trifled with. It is not a beginner species. I'm sure there are people out there right now, and I just had an email from somebody that told me that their first species was Apicelotheria. Theory. Obviously, there are people that are going to be ready to jump in the deep end with these. But for many people, this is not a spider you want to jump into the deep end with. Why? Because as we've documented, when they're spooked, they can be very, very, very fast. And they are big spiders. The smaller ones are at least six inches. The larger ones, eight, nine, even supposedly 10 inch spiders out there. And then there's the venom. And I think that's what has probably doomed many of these guys from appearing in a lot of folks' collections is that threat that, again, we've talked about it before, the potential for a bite. It's no joke. I never downplay it. I've had people go on and they get upset sometimes because they hear my piece of Ethereum spiel. They watch my videos. They hear me say, listen, they're not that bad. And they go, yeah, but what about that venom? I always admit to the venom. The venom, I would not want to be bit by a pokey. We're not talking about just an, an incredible amount of localized pain because that's the first thing you can expect. If they bite you and it's not a dry bite, you're going to have an incredible amount of pain and wherever they bit you. But then that pain spreads. And I've heard people saying that it's like a searing hot poker being driven up from the wound, if you got bit in the finger, all the way up through your arm. I've heard people say it gets to their shoulder. There is nausea. There are heart, heart palpitations. There is cramping. Some people have described, one of the worst things I ever heard, because I have gotten uh, had Charlie horses before, is somebody that got bit, and they woke up in the middle of the night. They cramped in their toes. They cramped in their feet. They cramped in their calves. They cramped in their thighs. It worked all the way up to their stomach muscles body cramping. I've heard folks say that this cramping can come back even months. In one case, over a year later, just spontaneous, the body just starts cramping again, just like it was doing when they got bit the first time. That's scary stuff, and that's nothing to be trifled with. So do I want to put this precursor out there before I get into the main part of this discussion? Do I think it's okay for people to say, hey, you know what? It's not worth the chance for me? Absolutely. 100% agree. I've mentioned before, it drives me nuts when people will come on my videos and go, yeah, I really like them, but I just don't feel like I'm ready. And somebody will come on, what are you waiting for? Just grab them. Don't be a wuss. No, 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 no. Let people, if people feel ready, I think that's the key to these guys and keeping them successfully is you need to feel comfortable. You need to believe what people are telling you and what I'm about to tell you. The fact that they are not nearly as bad as people make it them out to be. However, I'd be lying if I said there weren't some specimens out there that could be a little more high strung, a little more defensive. I had somebody contact me. I've had great luck with my piece of Letheria 
Regalis. She's one of my favorite spiders, always been very shy and laid back. I just spoke to somebody that said they kept theirs. It sounds like they kept them exactly the same way I do, and they were defensive. So there are defensive ones out there. Now, I think the problem I have with it is those defensive ones, in my opinion, are the exception and not the rule. And it's not just me. Every time I post one of these videos up, I have a lot of people come on and reinforce what I'm saying. Listen, I got one. I was freaked out. It's been really predictable. It's been a lot easier to, to deal with than some of my new world specimens. I think once you start to work with them and, and really start to appreciate them, and again, it needs to come from a place of experience. I am not telling people to go out and grab them who do not have their rehousings down pat. If you're a person that you went to rehouse your C. Cayenne pubicins and it bolted and flicked hairs at you and gave you the runaround and freaked you out with its speed, I can say that you're probably, there's no problem, you're not ready for a piece of Letharia species because they will run laps around any GBB. And again, I think where the danger comes from, and this is where it gets tricky, and this is where I get when people just go, hey, you know what? I don't need the added risk. The danger comes from when people are not comfortable with their rehousings, when they're afraid of the spider that they're working with. I've had folks say, yeah, I got to rehouse it. I've been dreading it now for a month. It's It should have been rehoused a while ago, but I'm scared. That's a problem because when you're scared, you, do, you don't necessarily use logic. You do things that you may not do in other circumstances. And so if something does go wrong, you could possibly do something and put yourself in harm's way. A lot of folks struggle with the fact that a good in a good rehousing, sometimes the spider doesn't go directly from point A to point B. Sometimes, ideally, we want to go from this enclosure into the bigger enclosure without it ever getting out anywhere else. And unfortunately, that's not always how it goes. Sometimes the spider will get out into the basin you're using. I use like a big plastic tub for a basin. That's fine. The trick is to not get a situation where the spider starts to run. The keeper panics and tries to stop the spider from fleeing. They put themselves in harm's way. The spider goes up their arm. There could be a bite. I've seen people freak out. They go to cup the spider and they accidentally crush the spider or catch its legs. And then the spider turns around, goes to defend itself. It creates a myriad of nightmare situations. So I do believe that folks that haven't gotten that down yet or that are looking at the spider and still, and I've used this before as a gauge, if you're trying to get into old worlds or trying to get into the more difficult, the quote unquote, advanced species and you're feeling anxiety, you're having a hard time sleeping at night, you may not be ready for them. It has, there's always going to be some trepidation. I know when I first got mine, there was like, oh God, we're in the big leagues now. I got to be careful. And there's going to be some extra nerves, but there's a difference between extra nerves and being terrified of your spider. If you're terrified of it, you're right. You're not ready for it. And that's totally okay. And for people that look at it and go, hey, you know what? The thought, even if there's a one in a million chance that I could take a bite from a spider that could cause that much pain and that much discomfort comfort. I'm not okay with that. I'm not willing to attempt that. Again, it's okay. But there's that large contingency of people out there that are fascinated by them, that love them, that watch my videos, that see pictures posted up on Instagram and wherever else people are posting pictures nowadays. And they go, wow, there's a beautiful spiders. I'd love to have one, but I don't know if I'll ever be ready. Those are the people I'm talking to. The ones that have heard that they're demons, they're not demons. Most of them are quite shy. If given places to hide or to flatten out, they would much rather hide and flatten out to then stand and fight. And it's not just me. I've raised, I think we counted, it was like 38 different ones, several different, I think we're up to 13 different species I've raised. 
30, I think, again, 35, I think we were trying to count. There's a lot of them I've raised up and never had any major issues. The only threat posture I ever got was me being a doofus, and I've shared this story before, where I was dying to get some footage of my piece of Ethereum Metallica. She was showing her blues, and I got the phone way up close to her, and she got startled by the flash and smacked at the phone. Didn't bear the fangs, didn't wasn't trying to bite me, but hey, it was a close call and it was a numbskull moment on my part and it could have been bad, but that was it. That's the only time I've ever seen one throw up threat postures at me. Most of the time, they do one of two things. They go to their burrows or their hides if they're slings and they got the little dirt curtains behind the cork bark, they go down there to hide or they flatten out on the piece of cork bark or on the substrate and use their natural camouflage and try to hide. Now, does that mean that they can't bolt? No, of course not. There's been situations, and I've talked to people, where suddenly they suddenly bolt, but I found usually if you jostle the container before you open it up, that gives them a clue, uh-oh, something's going down here, and then they flatten out and try to hide. So I found that they're very easy to deal with overall, and it's a shame because I do think that people need to be aware of them, but I think we do go too far sometimes in reinforcing that idea that they are, quote unquote dangerous. I hate that word. You guys know I hate that word. It drives me nuts because if in the hands of an experienced keeper that knows what they're doing, they are not dangerous. It's I consider it to be the same thing as going, all right, let's think of other things that are dangerous. Skateboarding can be dangerous. Riding a bike down the street can be dangerous. But there are ways to mitigate that danger. And I do think with Pesolotheria species, there are ways to mitigate the danger. Number one, I think a good thing to remember with Pesolotheria species is that they grow very quickly. So folks, a lot of folks, and I don't always encourage this, but I do think this is a species where it makes sense with. You can easily take a piece of Lotharia, put it in a 32 ounce, a piece of Lotharia sling, put it in a 32 ounce deli cup, raise it till it's about three inches and put it in an adult enclosure. Because they're such a fast-growing species, you can sometimes pull that one off. And again, you can skip that juvenile stage because they're going to outgrow it rather quickly anyway. So dropping a three-inch one into a larger enclosure. And the nice thing is, if you don't want to take the chance of having to deal with the spider flipping out or getting, you know, racing around trying to get them out of, because sometimes it can be scary trying to get a three-inch spider out of a 32-ounce enclosure. There's not a lot of room to work. You can easily take the top off that enclosure lay it down, point it toward behind the cork bark or where the cork bark is or some place where it can go hide and let it go. And that's it. And you can avoid that. Now, I know I've said in the past, I struggle sometimes when people try to jump spiders. They they try to do away with rehousings because they're scared of the spiders. So that, those are the ones where people ask questions. Hey, can I put a sling in an adult enclosure? And it's always an OBT or a piece of Lotharia species. I'm not advocating for that, but I'm saying it makes a lot of sense. I've done it before myself. I have taken, sometimes you got to do rehousings and I don't have a lot of time to sit there and record them. I don't want to mess with the spider. So I just take the top off, drop it in the new enclosure, let it come out on its own. There's nothing wrong with doing that. And with fast growing species, it makes a lot of sense. Now, if dropping the smaller specimen into a larger enclosure, one tip I would give people is to make sure there is even more coverage in that enclosure, meaning add some plants, whether real or or fake, maybe add multiple hides. Sometimes when you lean a cork tube against the side of the enclosure, the spider would rather go behind the cork tube. So put some foliage around there or some sphagnum moss behind it so it's nice and cozy. So wherever the spider wants to go, make it easier for the spider to settle in more quickly. So if you drop a three-incher, it sounds like it's a pretty good-sized spider. It's a smaller spider still. So if you're putting it in a larger enclosure, make sure it's got coverage. Make sure it settles in faster. But 
Keep in mind, pieces of theory are great hunters, so if you give them some extra room, even the smaller specimens in a larger cage, they are probably going to find the prey items. I've used crickets personally because crickets are always moving around. They they have no survival instincts, so they're always moving around. If you use roaches, keep in mind if you're using the larger enclosures and you're feeding, say, dubia roaches, crush the heads first. They'll wander around like zombies. They won't burrow. That I've always had that problem trying to feed dubia to my arboreal species or my piece of theory species. Sometimes you drop like a large dubia in there, thing immediately digs, the spider never finds it. You want it to give it a target. Uh, lateralis, bilateralis, or great bilateralis males, again, elicit that same type of hunting response. But moving them into a larger enclosure right off the bat, not a bad deal. One other thing to think about is if you're getting into piece Letheria species and you want to make your job a little more easy, use larger enclosures in general with larger top openings. It makes it easier to get the spiders out. Now, in the past, I've used things like the one-gallon mainstay containers that you can get at Walmart. I love them because they're crystal clear. They're very easily ventilated. The only issue and why I stopped using them for P. Letheria species is because it's a round opening, but the actual shape of the container is more rectangular. So there's corners near the top where the opening is where a spider can hide. Where that becomes an issue is when you're trying to get a spider out of there. So you've used this as a juvenile enclosure. You've dropped your piece of Letheria species into it. It is grown. It's now three and a half, four inches. You got to get it out of this. There is not a lot of room to get a brush or catch cup into that container. So that's a tip as well when keeping these guys to make your life easier to minimize the chance of any issues. Use containers that offer large openings on the top that have no obstructions. Personally, I like to use the food storage containers. They're like five, I think 5.2 liters. They sell them on Amazon. You can get them at Walmart. They're kind of rectangular, a little taller, probably nine and a half inches tall, maybe seven by seven or seven, eight by eight square. They're a little milky because they're made out of that sterilite plastic. However, easily ventilated, and I love them for faster arboreal species. I use those for just about all my faster arboreal species, including my Salmopias genus. I think they are the perfect size for juveniles to raise up to like three and a half, four inches or so. They allow you to put a decent amount of substrate in for those ones that want to do a little bit of digging or the ones that you want to keep a little bit moist. And of course, piece of Letheria do fit that bill. And the openings on the top are nice and wide so you don't have to worry about that situation you would with the mainstay container with you trying to stick a paintbrush down there with your hand right in the way of the spider's egress should it try to bolt. That's where people put themselves in dangers, danger during rehousings is when they find themselves in those situations. So I've wrestled with it before. I've had a hard time getting them out. The other ones I've used that are a little bit better than those are those cylinders. They're like nine and a half inches tall. I think the diameter is about ah, four and a half inches or so. They work well for juveniles. Just know that they roll when you lay them on their sides. And a lot of times to get the spiders out of it, you're going to want to lay them on the side and get the paintbrush in there and get the spider out. So what I usually like to do is take clay and put it on either side of it so it can't roll before working with the spider, working with the enclosure. That's worked well for me. But these, I actually switched away from those cylinders. Cylinders look great. They look great in the shelf. They're clear, crystal clear, but they're not quite as big as the other thing. I love those storage containers for the faster, potentially defensive arboreal species. The other good thing about them is they have those kind of square corners. Guess what fits beautifully in those square corners? Well, if you haven't watched my videos, I have a Simply Limeade bottle that's more rectangular on the base that I love to use to get spiders out of those corners. It works beautifully with those containers. So while we're looking at the containers we're going to be using, do some planning ahead and figure out which catch cup is going to work in that situation. I've had situations before where you're in, you're getting the spider out of the 
container. It's in the corner. A lot of times, Pisolotheria will hunker down to the point where they basically almost bury themselves trying to hide from you, and they're in a corner. It's hard getting in there with a round or a cylindrical catch cup. So make sure that your catch cups and your enclosures work well together. Make sure that if you're using something that's rectangular and a little narrower, that you have something that allows you to get into that corner. It makes those rehousings so much less stressful when you can just drop that thing right down. It hugs the corner. There's no place for the spider to get out around it because I've done it before where I put that round catch cup in there. The spider shot out in one of the openings between the round catch cup and the square corner and gone right up over the catch cup. You don't want that situation. There's a situation where you may end up with a spider that's bolting on you. So find those catch cups at work. Find containers that work well. I think for some people, if you want to spend a little bit of money, the containers, those magnetic top, sliding top ones, a lot of different companies make them now. They have an Amazon. Those can work pretty well too because, again, you slide that top off. You have a lot of room to work. The only issue with them is sometimes it can be difficult trying to slide that top back in in a hurry if something should go wrong, but those can work as well. But plan ahead. Use things. That's one of the reasons why I like the deli cups for the slings, the largest slings. Even dram vials are nice because if you have a dram vial, those dram vials are small enough that you can drop them in the new enclosure. Save yourself some trouble. Another thing I like to suggest to folks who are eyeing Pisolotheria and still on the fence about them, start with a sling. Now, this comes with its own challenges because I've had more issues with the smaller, tiny Pisolotheria slings bolting and teleporting than I have larger specimens. So do know that it comes with different challenges than, say, working with a larger specimen. The slings, again, much like their adult counterparts, we usually try to hide. They're not going to come out at you and rush you normally. They're going to go down into their little burrows. They'll make those dirt curtains. When you're trying to rehouse them, when you just purchase one, sometimes the easiest thing to do is to just take that vial, take the top off, check your spider, make sure it's okay. I know a lot of times they have lags where you got to check, make sure the spider's okay, but then just put that vial into the enclosure, let it come out on its own. That's one of the nice things about working with the Pisolotheria species. They are fast growing and you can even start smaller slings in larger containers, but don't be afraid to just take that thing out, take the top off, take the little plug out, let it come out on its own. I've done it before. Sometimes they're hard getting them. It's hard getting them out of there. And if those slings bolt, they are fast. That's where you hear the things where they get out, they teleport, they go up somebody's arm, they're on their back. I have heard stories about that. You cannot sleep on small pieces of Etheria. So do know, working with smaller slings, they are much more prone to bolting than I think their adult counterparts. They're definitely more prone to bolt than they are to stand their ground and fight. I, I can't picture a little piece of Etheria sling throwing up that threat posture. But again, that can be more of a challenge. So yes, I think it is prudent for folks that are that do want to get into piece of Etheria, that want to graduate to that point, to start with a sling, but recognize that first, be on point during that first housing because that's when they can be a little bit troublesome. I've had trouble with the babies sometimes sprinting around. Once they're in their enclosure though, if you've provided them with the correct enclosure, if you've provided them with places to hide, with enough substrate because a lot of times they'll do a little bit of digging, You've given them some moss to, again, hide behind, keep the moisture levels up. Usually, they settle in. They're not something I don't, I've never, and I'm sure somebody out there will disagree with me and has had this happen. Anything's possible, but I've never had one just bolt out of an enclosure for no reason. I've never had it happen. 
In fact, one of the tips I always share with people is when working with Tisa Letheria, always jostle the container before working with them. I will find that my adults, when they're out, if I go to pick up the container, obviously when I do feedings and maintenance, I take them off of the shelf, put them on my little cart there, do what I need to do. And usually when I pick them up, they immediately, if they don't, they don't usually bolt, but they do that kind of quick little, all right, I'm out of here. And they go to their burrows and they hide. So I've never had any issues with them trying to bolt out of it. So that's something to think about too. And again, another tip, just make sure you're not surprising them. If you're piece Letheria is sitting there right out in the open and all of a sudden you just pull the top off the enclosure or you rip the door open without giving a warning. Yeah, you can have those situations where they scramble. I just the other night went to check on one of my piece of Letheria rufaladas and I didn't see her at first and I shined a flashlight in and she took off what basically ran circles all around the entire thing scrambling trying to find a place to get away from the light she wasn't defensive she was trying to get the heck away from perceived danger so she finally scrunched herself up under her cork bark and hid and I was able to take the top off and do the maintenance I needed to do but another little tip for you number well actually two little tips here number one when they do freak out they tend to circle the enclosure that's not to mean if one of them got like this one here kind of came up the side a little bit came back down but normally the times I've seen them really freak out, they kind of circle. So that's something to keep in mind, especially if you're using a front opening enclosure. That's why I tend to avoid the front opening closures, enclosures with mine. Granted, some people keep them in there without problems. And I'm talking about like the Exoterra Nanos and the Minis. Are both, you can open them both from the top as well. And that's usually how I access mine. But the other tip is, should you be working with your Pucillotheria species and it starts bolting, immediately close the door, walk away easiest thing you can do. Eventually, what they will do is they will usually find a spot where they feel safe, usually involves going into their burrow, and they hide, hunker down in there, and then you can safely work. But if you're doing maintenance, if you're doing a rehousing, do not try to push through if the spider gets spooked. It's not going to get... That's where if a bite is going to happen, it's going to be because a spider feels threatened that it, enough that it has to stand its ground. It feels trapped. So when they're bolting, Yes, that's scary. Yes, that can lead to issues. I just talked to somebody who said they had one bolt that ended up on their ceiling. Not a good situation. So that's where you want to back off a little bit. When they're standing their ground, that's where a threat could happen. That's your most likely spot to get bit. The trick is always, and with any spider really, to not have it ever get to that point where the spider feels trapped. And that's, again, why I like those top opening ones. I've used Sterilite. We were talking about the food storage containers earlier, and I like that they open from the top. That was one of the reasons why for many years, and I still have some in it, I used to use larger Sterilite containers. People would be like, that's a terrestrial enclosure. No, it gives it the height it needs, but it also gives it some floor space and gives me some room to work. Because again, when the spider, when you're doing maintenance, you should always be using tongs. It's sometimes easier to jostle that enclosure, watch the spider go behind its den, then carefully go in with the tongs, remove the boluses, remove the water dishes, never stick your hand in there. The last thing you want is a situation where the spider suddenly bolts, your hand's in the way, it's up your arm. God only knows what happens. Keep your hands away from it, but that allows you some room to work. I've done it for years and it's worked very well for me and I've spoken to others have done the same thing. Give them room. So another tip, when in doubt, give them some more room. I do have a couple piece Letheria species. I have both my piece of Fuscas in eight by eight by 12 acrylic enclosures. They are a little thin and on the small side when compared to my other piece Letheria species. So they seem to be 
they have adequate room in there, but that I could put them easily in something much bigger. The trick is to give the, your spider room. So if it comes down to it, if you have one of those eight by eight by 12 cages, or if maybe you have one of the 12 by 12 by 16 ones, giving them more room might be the more prudent move, especially if you're just starting to get the hang of keeping the larger pokies. That will also allow usually for a situation where if you have them in a juvenile enclosure, you can put that juvenile enclosure into the other enclosure and get the spider out that way, which makes it easier but I found that this is one you don't want to crowd more so I mean I think the spiders can be fine in a smaller enclosure but it doesn't leave the keeper as much room to work and that can be a little scary another tip to keeping piece of the theory I did not do this for years because I like seeing my more but I've been doing it more in recent times when you have a choice between a cork bark flat and a cork bark round, cork bark flats can work fine. You can tape, take them, lean them against the side of enclosure, put some plants next to them, put some sphagnum moss behind them, and the pokies will settle behind it. But if you really want to give it security, give them the cork bark rounds. Not only does that make the spider feel more secure, because most of them will eventually use or adopt that round as their home but I've had people that will just basically when they go to rehouse a pokey they slide something over the top of that round they slide something under the bottom of the round and they move the whole round into the new enclosure makes for a very easy safe rehousing as long as your paper covers up all the holes you don't want a situation or your cardboard you don't want a situation where the spider can squeeze out any gaps but it can be much easier I've also seen people carefully take a pair of tongs pick up the cork bark round. The pokey is going to be hidden. It's going to feel safe. It's dark. It's secure. And you just take that whole cork bark round and move it into the new enclosure. Another tip for folks that want to keep them to make those rehousings a little bit easier. And finally, this is a tricky one because there are two extremes to this and both of them can be equally important. Try to watch some videos of people rehousing pokies, but frame them like this. Watch ones where they don't go well. See if you can figure out where something could have been. I used to love going through, when I first got into Keeping Old Worlds, going through the videos where things would go wrong and trying to figure out the spot where it went wrong and how it could have been prevented. That becomes a learning aid. Instead of just being a video of, oh, crazy spider rehouse, spider gets out all over the place, find that moment where the person made a mistake that led to that spider getting spooked and getting up and out of the enclosure, out in the room, wherever it may go. So watch some of those, but don't watch them as a, a way to psych you out. Watch them in a way that you go through and you troubleshoot and figure out where you could have done things better, where you could have done things differently. Then on the flip side of it, find some folks that are doing those smooth rehousings. I'll put myself out there. I try to do piece Letharia rehousings, make them very smooth so people can see how they can go smoothly. I know Dave's Little Beasties does a lot of rehousing of spiders and they go very smoothly. Another person who obviously has respect for the animals and is very calm around them. Find people like that and watch those videos to see how it's done, to see how you can take these spiders that are supposedly so scary and vicious and defensive and quote unquote dangerous Watch people who work with them. Watch how the animals react to somebody who is calm and knows what they're doing. So see both sides of it. When stuff goes wrong, analyze it. Go through error analysis. Figure out where it went wrong, how it went wrong. What could you have done differently? Would you have not? Sometimes it's very obvious that people are just sloppy. They're poking the spiders. There's no extra precautions should the spider get out. Sometimes it's subtle, but watch those videos. That helps you mentally prepare. So God forbid you're rehousing and something goes wrong and the spider doesn't do what you expected it to do. You've seen this. You've experienced it vicariously through others. You now 
now have a game plan on how to react. You know that when the spider starts to bolt for a minute, instead of trying to slam down that cup and catch it, take a step back, watch the spider, keep an eye on it, have a spotter there when you do rehousings. Do it in a place. I mean, these are all basic rehousing techniques that will also help you with Pisolotheria. Do it in a place where you know the spider can't get away. If you're a bathtub person, do it there. Make sure you block off all those, you know, the drains and the faucets, all that stuff. But whatever it may be, be prepared for it. That's part of the mental preparation for rehousing these spiders is seeing it done, seeing it done when it doesn't go right, seeing it done with somebody that knows what they're doing and when it does go right, when they stay calm. And it's kind of like your homework, again, trying to come up with those game plans because that's the trick. When people start screwing up, when people put themselves in compromising situations, it's when they are scared and when something happens that they're not expecting and they just can't, the brain starts to fritz out and they just can't think fast enough And what they do sometimes is counterintuitive to what they should be doing. So mental preparation is the key. Do that homework. Watch those videos. Plan these things out ahead of time. Plan your game, where you're going to rehouse. Plan what you're going to use for your catch cups. If you're going to use cardboard, I have videos out there showing how you can move a spider when using cardboard where the spider has no chance of escaping whatsoever getting to you. There are ways to do this. And then what happens as is during these situations, the more times you do it, the more comfortable you start to feel with the rehousings around those spiders. You start to believe what some of the stuff I'm telling you and other people have said, that they are not as crazy and unpredictable as people make them out to be. And then with that comfort, with that knowledge, you have a better chance of having a more laid back and crisis-free rehousing. That's all how you gain that experience. So these are tips to kind of get you there. Do you start feeling more experienced? And then you'll see, like, I've seen people that they use the cardboard technique and then they say, you know what? I went to do it the next time. I didn't feel like I needed the cardboard. I felt like it was an obstacle. Totally cool. But I think with the the, the peaceless area especially, it's like the OBT, there is such an aura around them of them being dangerous and unpredictable that that's it's going to be hard to fight that when you first start keeping them so using some of these tips hopefully you set yourself up for success you eliminate a lot of the situations that could lead to the spider getting out you've got your cardboard you've got your appropriately shaped catch cup you've got a juvenile container that you're not looking at going oh crap it's going to be able to hide up in the corners now what do i do plan all this stuff ahead Make your life much easier. What's going to happen is as you start doing more and more of these, again, you feel more comfortable, you'll be good. And you'll recognize you'll be one of those people that when I post these videos up goes, hey, Tom, you know what? You're right. I was scared to keep one. Now I got a, you know five of them and I have no problems with them. Again, you have to show them respect. You have to plan ahead. You have to be comfortable with them. And then you can enjoy the pokies, which I do think are one of the absolute most beautiful, stunning tarantula species out there. I adore them. And I want other people to share that adoration and share what I see. And it just makes me sad sometimes when I hear folks say, you know what, I'll never keep them. Unfortunately, I've heard too many bad things about them. I have a woman named Joyce who has been a follower of mine on YouTube, a subscriber of mine for years. She has probably been commenting on every video I've ever put up for like seven years. And when I first started, she was like, nope, no pokies. I've seen too many things in other videos about them. And every time I put out a pokey video, we have the discussion where I think she's starting to believe me a little bit more. But again, that's how deep rooted that fear is that is taken seven years and me doing all these videos for her to finally start recognizing, hey, you know what? Maybe there is some truth to this. But again, there's so many people out there screwing up the rehousings and talking about how dangerous they are that... I'm just one small little voice in the echo chamber. So 
hopefully this one here helps some folks out that are on that. This one's directly 100% aimed at the folks who are on the fence or are not sure if they're ready, the ones that have been keeping for a while, that have some experience. I've also talked before, I can't leave this out, working your way up the piece of Etheria makes a lot of sense. And I tell folks, start keeping some of the Salmapias and Tapatakinia species. Those are good ones to prepare you for them because they tend to be a little more high-strung and defensive and willing to bolt than piece of Etheria. Another good tip for you, but here are hopefully some things you can work on and think about, and maybe some folks will make that jump into keeping these and see what the rest of us see, that they're not the monsters they're made out to be. They're really regal, beautiful animals that, yes, need to be treated with respect and with caution. You cannot forget about the venom. You cannot forget about what they're capable of, but... That's not what they are. They're not monsters. They're awesome spiders. So hopefully that helps some folks out. For the folks who want to comment, I would love to hear your pokey stories on this one. What if, what experience have you had? What are some tips you have working with this piece of Lethera species? Or if you just want to have a fun one, chime in with, hey, what's your favorite piece of Lethera species? We're talking about it over in the comments of the video I posted on piece of Lethera. I'd love to hear it. Maybe we'll do something on the podcast Coming up, where we talk about the favorite pokies as voted by folks that follow the, my YouTube channel and the podcast, and we kind of add them all up. I don't know. We'll do something fun because I want to get it's Pokey Awareness Day. How's that? And I want to make sure that we get it out there that they are amazing animals and deserve a second look for people that have been scared off from them. So that will do it for this one. Again, you can go over and check out that video on YouTube if you want to check out some, I think, some halfway decent footage. I'm not going to. It's not amazing footage, but I got some good footage, some good close-ups of some piece of Letheria species with, I think, some good tips. Feel free to check that one out. You can find me on tomsbigspiderspodcast.com if you want to come and subscribe and or leave comments. I'd love to hear from you. Guys, that will do it for this one. As always, stay safe, and we'll catch you all next time.